Welcome back, friends, to the podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Mazadonsky, and today I have a special guest with us. We have Karina Rodriguez. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you join me. It's, okay, so I have to tell you, this is a little different. I'm learning about Karina and her style of coaching. She is a self-mastery coach, and it's a little different style, and I love watching her, so I can't wait at the end when she shares with how to find, how you can find her on social media. So Karina, tell us how you got started on this journey. Wow. Um, I feel like this is typically a pretty difficult question. Cause I feel like when we think of someone and what they do, we tend to think of like a and B, mm-hmm. but there, I feel for most of us, when we actually take the time to reflect, and identify to what led us where we are today, there's a lot of little gems in our life. And I've identified a handful of them, but most recently I connected to like a conscious point when I was four years old that kind of created a dissertation for my life. I, um, looking back, I have a lot of psychology background. So that's, I'm like, if I would have gone down a PhD path, like my dissertation began at four years old, And that was when my curiosity to understand how humans live and present themselves to the world is very different to who they actually are at their core. And that became very deeply, um, a very curious topic for me when I witnessed my preschool teacher, I can just see her. I can see her doing certain things and I could feel she she was disconnected to her core. I'm like, she's doing these things, but it's not who she is. Like I felt a disconnect. Oh, wow. And that just sparked something in me to start like studying and observing my environment, even as a four-year-old and like a five-year-old and playing with like imagination in a sense. And sometimes I do recall, like when I would play sports, I would like hypnotize myself to create an alter reality or like, so there's like things that I'd play along with throughout my life. Uh, the research and the research on the psychology level and the sociological level are things that I definitely stuck to. Like I kept studying my environment throughout elementary school, middle school and middle school. I entered the activism space a little bit more because I like knew there was a lot going on in the world. And I just, I knew like the concept of becoming a therapist was something that was my mom kind of like introduced, like me becoming a therapist. And I knew I wanted to help people. So I was considering a doctor, but I felt there was another way for me to help people. And I, I also, I didn't really have the conscious awareness that I come from a lineage of healers but I've also had a very strong intuition growing up and a deep love for the body. And I'm sharing all these different things uh, because at this moment in my life, I help overachievers develop a secure relationship with themselves and their body so they can live a fulfilling life. So the concept of the self, the individual and the impacts of society and their relationship to the body and all the memories the body stores from one's own life, but also ancestry. It's very, very intertwined in the way we're living and the quality of life we live and how we experience our life. So yeah, like it's very embedded throughout my whole life. And then I did go into college to study, double majored in psychology and sociology. I was in a path to become like a professor, like 
as soon as I graduated, like I was already doing a lot of research, but my junior year of college, I was intrigued to go see what it would feel like to sit in front of a therapist. And if that's how I wanted people to feel when they sat in front of me. Hmm. And when I did that, something in me, my inner compass, my inner voice, like it's guided me my whole life. It was like trigger a traumatic experience in your body and tell her that you're happy. So she see if she can feel that disconnect. And I'm like, that's interesting, but I'm there mainly to feel what it feels like. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And she didn't pick up on that, that disconnect. So then that same voice was like, okay, this is not your path complete your program, like keep doing research, but just when you graduate, like you're going to start, you're going to do something different. So, so I how continued long did you do that. How long did I do what? How long did you th- do therapy? Um, I, I was never, Oh, with that therapist, I only went that one time. Oh, okay. Because it was literally like, I really wanted to know what it felt like as a person being supported by me. Oh, okay. and if that's how I want, I wanted for me. So that way, if you would have done that for a career, you knew what it was on the other side. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm very much a researcher. Like I don't like, you know, I'm, yeah. that's been my nature since I was little. So I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to put myself in the space that I want to see. And in college, I did a lot of research as well with my professors, but I started to going deeper into myself, practicing mindfulness, reading like the book, Don Miguel Ruiz. And it was just like validating the way I saw life, you know? and like the drama that people get involved in. And yeah, I, before I graduated, like I was really deep in my path. I was intuitively doing inner child healing. Like when I studied abroad, my sixth, I stayed out in Italy for six months. And the whole time there was about healing. Like I'd go to school. I would want to go to my apartment. Like I was waking up early, meditating, praying, you know, I'd go back home and just do intuitive healing on myself. And so it was very much, it just, before I turned 21, like I was already like deep in it. So, so what were some of your main like um, healing practices that you were doing? So I was practicing a lot of yoga, meditating. I was also, I also pivoted like my just diet at that time. Like I was taking extreme changes. I also left a relationship that I had been in for over three years And that relationship, like I gave a lot of love to. So pulling out of it, my inner core was like, you need to get out of this. Like, this is not, you know, and it was hard to fight that. Like, it was hard to listen to my own voice. But then I witnessed how I was intentionally, unconsciously creating chaos because I wanted that person to break up with me. And Mm -hmm. then that same voice guided me when I broke up with him. It's like, we need to bring all this love back to ourselves. So then there was like this extra energy of love that I was used to giving to somebody else that I just brought back to myself and I kind of cocooned myself in it. And then it was just like, I was open to figuring out whether other ways I can love myself. And that's kind of where I like, like the inner child healing, I intuitively ended up doing it. I don't even know, like, you know, I'm like 20, 21 years old, like these concepts were just, and this was back in like 2013. So like, you know, I don't feel like this work was out as much then um, as it is now, but yeah. And then I just kept going deeper. I was also like, I grew, I also grew up loving quotes. Like in high school, I used to self-soothe myself. Like I used to cry myself to sleep whenever I was going through a lot in school. And I would read a lot of quotes. Like I was addicted to quotes. 
my phone, my storage would be backed up because every quote I saw, I would just screenshot. Like I just spelled, I used to like save that. them. Like yeah, same. But then my sister helped me reflect. She was like, why are you so addicted to quotes? Like why? And I realized like I was just trying to hoard all of them because they made me feel so good. Mm-hmm. And that helped me like release that my attachment to quotes, but quotes were like throughout my teenage years, quotes were my go-to for getting into the mental state I wanted to be in despite what was happening in my environment. Oh, that's interesting. So you were doing so many of these healing practices, like even at at such a young age, that's so powerful. So what was your next step? So you were in Italy and then what, when did you actually like start doing the self-mastery coaching? Yeah. So when I came back, I was doing my, um, my Kundalini yoga teacher training at that time. And I was also an educator. So I automatically, I would teach my students about life mm-hmm. and they, there are fourth graders and third graders, and they themselves were also having deep transformations. Like my students would have breakthroughs during class. Like some of them sometimes would be releasing emotions. So I feel like I, in a lot of ways, even when I look back in my teen years and when I come across letters from friends, like they would call me their therapist or their life coach. Uh-huh. So it's not like one day I just woke yeah. up and I decided like, I'm going to be a coach. It's like, it's actually always been so embedded in who I am. And so when I came back from Italy, I was practicing that in the context of my educator space with my fourth and third grade students. Uh, and then I started like, I would do one-on-one sessions with people for yoga. I did a session with this nine-year-old man that I couldn't even do yoga. And he was 90, he was a veteran and an engineer. And he told his daughter that he felt the most confident he ever did when he was working with me. And this was back in like 2016. And it was through like my presence and my impact, you know? So I even got to witness him like being able to tell people hype when he prior couldn't. So there's been like little glimpse along the way. I think when I finally decided self-mastery was like my title was probably like a year or two ago that I was like pivoting towards this title, but it's really just been the title. Uh, But I also started stepping more, owning my connection to the body in 2016, I think. I like, I had already been guiding people to connect to the body, like And in 2016, I was like, I'm going to start stepping into this more consciously. Okay. So tell me a little bit. So the listeners know what that means. What does it mean to be more connected to the body? So our body stores our whole life history plus our mothers. And one of the easiest ways to comprehend that, because you're like, wait, what? Our body is just moving with us all day. Like our mind's the one running the show. No, our body stores so much memory. If you think about it our body is running itself every day. It, like your hand's going to reach out and you don't even need to think about it. So there's so much wisdom and memory in the body. And our body is, our being is already created in our mother's womb when she's a little like fetus in her own mom. So there's the history from the cells of our grandmother, just from thinking about it in that way. And life procreates with the same memory because it's like I need to remember the impact of my environment so I know how to survive it that's actually genius that nature does that because then you don't need to think about and waste energy trying to figure out this whole world as you're creating new life that's too dangerous so what that means is that our 
body, which is connected to our unconscious and subconscious mind, which rule 99.5% to 95% of our reality, only the conscious mind rules 0.5 to 5%. And in order to tap into the conscious mind, you have to be living in the present, which means you cannot be under stress, which means most humans are not living in the present because our society is run by a lot of stress. Stress is like, there's so cortisol levels are high. People are so busy. So most people are not living in the present moment. So they're not even tapping into their conscious mind, which is that 0.5 to 5%. So then how do we tap into that? We tap into the conscious mind through practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness helps you like try to drop in. And that's like stuff I was really practicing in college was like, you can, I'm sure you can find things online, like how to practice mindfulness. It requires a lot of work, mm-hmm. especially for, for people that are not used to like being present because think about it. A lot of not wanting to be in the present is actually a survival response. If you grew up in a home where there was a lot of chaos or pain, your desire to want to be busy is very much a survival because it gives you this feeling of like, I'm in control. Yeah, that makes sense. So for a lot of people, it's really hard to achieve that level of presence because sometimes for people, they feel that being present is going to bring up all the stuff they don't want to feel. And sometimes feeling is not safe. So it is really, I'm I'm sharing all this insight because if somebody's like, I want to practice mindfulness and they can't feel connected to practicing mindfulness, it makes sense because that's a survival mechanism. People develop working hard, you know, but mindfulness is one way to tap in like consciously, like uh, taking in your environment, like, oh, what are some details I notice in my environment? Like really paying attention Mm. to a detail or like making self you can give yourself like a pencil or a pen and just practicing being very present with it. What are, what can I notice in this pen that is like very unique and different? Or like, what can I identify in this one thing? And that can help you get into the present state. I love that. Cause you're so right about stress. Cause I know even for myself, like the work that I've done personally, there's still times where I feel such high stress and being present is definitely something I'm like, okay, how do I be more present today when I'm feeling that higher stress level? So I love that you're sharing that. Yeah. And then with that, like that is the, what is available. Right. And then the subconscious and the unconscious mind, which is like what's stored in the body. It, when we try to create life from a mental state, We try to like create the life we want to live. And we buy into like, if you have this, you're going to be happy. If you reach your next level of success, you're going to be happy. And I work with people that have achieved the highest level they could in their career. And they find themselves, they're literally just achieving the next thing. And they're already looking for the next thing. And when we work together, they realize that the quality of their relationships is not in a nourishing state. They realize they're not really present in their life. And Literally through working with me, I recently launched a program for overachievers. It's my reconnect program. We connect twice a month. The first month, a lot of them were like, wow, I can't believe it's just been one month because they feel so much present in their life. They're having intentional relationships. They're feeling that same overachiever quality and that like just 
you know, wanting to receive a lot from their career in other spaces of their life. So they're being more nourished and they're able to be more present through my support and helping them tap into the parts of them. Because we have so many parts that are constantly at play, helping them tap to the different parts that need to come together for them to feel safe to be present now. Do you feel like there's something... I don't know how to say this. So do you think there's a reason why they're overachieving though in, in the beginning before that they learn how to heal and be present? Is there a reason? Like, is there something that we're covering up or masking like by doing it? Yeah. Sometimes it's either like a sense of like low self-esteem or like not feeling good enough that it's like my, who I am and my value is very dependent and interconnected to what I do. Other times it could be like, you grew up and witnessed certain environment where women, if you're a woman, were not in good conditions, or if you come from a family where they there was not, you know, there wasn't a financial like stability. So it's usually you're either trying to create something that didn't exist, that didn't mm-hmm. wasn't safe. Uh, and then you do this because you're like, I'm never going to be in the same situation again. But then you're not even really available to receive the you know receive the rewards so there's that and then there's also like some kids learn to be overachievers to get parents love so part of them it's like on the other side of this next level achievement is my reward which is my parents love yeah like if they only they're only good enough if they get a's or something like that yeah Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. And that's crazy to think like that happens to you as a child. And then you, you look at that, like, oh, well I'll get acknowledgement if I get an A in this class. So then it's like, you just keep repeating that. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to be enough because maybe you did get the A, but your parent couldn't see you. And we all want to be seen. And for me, my work is so my work, it's not about people becoming dependent on me and like them needing me. It's them. And I witness them seeing more of themselves constantly. They're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize this part of me existed. Or like, it's me helping bring these parts together. So yes, they're still achieving all these things and they feel fulfilled every step of the way. And their relationships are nourishing and they feel nourished, you know? That's like my goal. And they have the ability to see themselves along the way. Wow, that's really powerful. And then also think about it because like the same problems that follow us in every area of our life follow you at work. Like I've worked with somebody in the past that they were extreme overachiever. They put their every minute of their day was like wiped out, busy, but their quality of their relationships and all spaces and their life were like, not in a good place. They were like terrible in a sense. They didn't really, they were non-existent. So they would intentionally, we realized they were intentionally keeping themselves busy to not have to make time for those relationships. And another layer to that, they started witnessing how in their work environment, they were also starting to struggle with relationships. Yeah. So to work, you said what they're bringing that to work, like how they're handling outside relationships and they're just doing it at work. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, Yes. What I witness is there's this, as we evolve, everything evolves. Like, yes, you get to continue to overachieve, but also the quality of your work changes because the quality of your relationships at work also change. Yeah. Mm, I love that. So interesting. You're amazing. 
So tell us a little bit more of like what it's like to maybe go through your practice with you. So when people come with me, like for the reconnect program is done very intentionally where, so (laughs) what it's like when people come work with me, I just see all of you and I help you connect all the puzzles that are like all over the place. It could be literally your body. Like, Oh, you know, I mean, the body communicates with me, but Mm -hmm. I, I just help bring, sometimes people feel confusion. Like I work with a lot of people that are sometimes very self-aware. They're very self-aware. They themselves have, they listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. They've tried mindfulness. They've tried all these different things, but they're like, something's up and it's not clicking. I know there's something else and they could feel the frustration of the something else. And they're like frustrated when people like work with me, I bring all those dots for them together. And one session so much happens that they're like oh my god and when they're walking away they walk away with this new embodied version of themselves so when they're out in the world they're not needing to think like wait what did Karina say they witness themselves behaving in a way that is interconnected with what I help them see of themselves and help them integrate so basically just imagine you're going somewhere and someone's just going to see all of you and help you put your pieces together that are not flowing and that are fighting each other basically, or at, in, in, mm-hmm. in disagreement. All right. So you do all of this work, amazing work for your clients. So what do you do to continue working and healing and just throwing you? Yeah, I, I continue to get support from people and I continue to become aware of like, what's the next thing that's coming up for me. and yeah, I just, I keep going deeper. There's like an, you know, there's generational stuff. I've been working through a lot of generational stuff. I've actually been working a lot through like, or before it's interesting before coming on the podcast, I just kept getting all these different like downloads of information. I'm like, Oh, that's, these are really deep thoughts. Like, why are they coming? Then I realized we had a podcast. I'm like, okay. What I realized when I was little, I wanted to bring harmony to the whole world. And I was an advocate advocate for a long time, like early college years and elementary, middle school and high school. And I was wanting to fight something outside myself to bring peace. In college, I took a pivot and I went more into myself. I continue to confront the parts of me that would not allow me to feel space with so-called darkness outside in the world or other people's like you know, just those more aggressive energies in a sense or embodiment or characteristics. I continue to phase the parts in myself, in my gener- my um, ancestry that do embody that. And through doing that, there's this deeper level of confidence in myself and just rootedness. Like if somebody's going to come at me with something's like, I already face that part of myself, baby. Like, (laughs) I love that. Here's your mirror, you know? So I just keep accessing the parts that are wounded, the parts that are dark within me, the parts that are not yet seen or loved. And I feel, you know, there's always room for more. Mm, I so agree with that. Like, I feel like I'm in a good place but then sometimes little things come up and say, and that's how I feel. I'm like, okay, there's, there's still some healing to do and that's okay. It's like this growth journey. There's no like destination. 
Mm-hmm. And that the healing part, because it could feel overwhelming, like, oh my God. Cause at one point in like earlier, I don't know, 2015, 2016, I was like, oh my God. Cause I was deep in a yogi cape. Like I that was like for a period, it was my full-time thing, just healing, healing, healing. And I went through like three years of severe, like physical injuries that just like wiped me out basically. And I was like, oh my God, when is this going to end? But then I realized like, I'm making this feel like it is a thing that it's like healing. But once I decided to reframe it, I'm reclaiming myself. Then it became like, I want to reclaim more of me. I want to be fully here. I want to be fully alive. I want to fully receive all that life has to give, all that life is already giving me right now. And the way to do that is for me to be more present and to include all these different parts that have been wiped out of my energy field and out of my consciousness and out of my body to call them back. And those, that's what I do. It's like, I help people bring these parts back so they could enjoy more life. Cause you know, I believe this is like my own theory that I created. It's every time we have an experience where there's like little traumatic moments or little moments that just like shock us out of our body. I believe those parts of us start living out in the field, like out here, like out in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, all those parts that are pulled out, how much energy is left in this vessel that actually pertains to the soul or the spirit. And it's like, sometimes not a lot. And when there isn't a lot, then that's easier to just get in that loop cycle of life is happening. But the more we reclaim these parts, the more life we can receive, the more there is here to receive what is already here. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's really good because there's definitely pieces of me that I feel are out there that I've chose like, oh, I'm strong now. Like I, they're okay to be out, but you're right. Probably need to come back in and do some more healing on those parts of me, but it's hard when you just feel like this strong, powerful person. We feel like I'm in a place of like enoughness for me, but I do want to keep evolving. So I'm glad you're pulling so much out of the, out of me right now too. Cause I know that our listeners are going to get so much value out of this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, you know, people, that's normally what people think like, oh, I'm at a good place. I'm at a good place. And for me, it's like, how much more of me can I have here? Knowing that so many parts are in the clouds. Not that I need to go overwhelm and like go in a cave because I don't need to do that anymore. I'm, I've done so much work with my nervous system because of trauma that I've healed. Like I had PTSD for two years from a car accident. A lot of things happened that just forced me to go deeper into my body and be more present and to heal my nervous system. That I get to witness a trigger unfolding right before me. And that is a gift because I don't need to create more chaos in a sense, Mm. you know, but when a lot of parts are you not a lot of, when a lot of parts of us are not here, we're reacting versus responding. So something for me that inspires me to want to continue to recall those parts, not that there's anything wrong with who I am now, or not that there's anything wrong with anything it's just I want more of me here because it feels good to be here you know so that's kind of like I invite that switch like I I want to feel more alive 
and I want to be more me. And it's like, you bring these parts, there's more energy of you here. That's, that's what inspires me to do it. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally relate to so much that you're saying, because I, when I started my journey of growth, like after my divorce, that was like my big, like breaking point. I look back and I'm like, I I don't know that I ever knew that deeper part of me that was like fully me. I just felt like it was a lot of people pleasing or showing up how I had to feel or should do all those kind of things that that was my like breaking open moment of my worthiness is like, I am worthy now, like you said, but it was like, I knew I still wanted to grow. And that was like that self-love, like that you're okay. You're whole let's, you know, still grow and evolve and get to know that deeper version of Lauren. And that felt really good. Yeah. And like you said, you validated yourself that you're enough. It's not like you're not enough. It's like, you're, you're you and you get to be more you. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly how it felt too. Really. It's like, you're getting to know your, your true self. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's all these things that we're not aware of. Sometimes, sometimes we are the people pleaser and all of that. And as like, you're meeting yourself, those things start to dissolve more. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, it's okay for me to be me. And in me being me, like, communicating like I can't make it or I don't want to make it anymore and that's okay and if you get upset then that's okay too like you have the right to feel upset because that's you and this is me and we could both feel what we feel and respect each other yep that was a big lesson for me boundaries (laughs) boundaries and letting go of people pleasing Mm -hmm. it's a sneaky one (laughs) Oh yeah. That one, I did, I did not even realize that it was a thing in me until I did start my healing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's why I jokingly call myself a recovering people pleaser now. Cause I'm like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that was a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. It, it masks itself as being a good person. Yes. No, you're right. Because I feel like if I, I always give this example that like, I would think about wanting sushi all day long. But then if like my ex came to me and was like, where do you want to go to dinner? I would just be like, oh, I don't, I don't care. And we'd end up at Italian with me thinking about sushi, but really I masked it. This was my excuse. I'll tell you. So just so you can tell me what you think. Um, I masked that as my excuse was I'm just easy going. Oh yeah. Yeah. No sense of self. Yeah. I'm easy going. I'm flexible. I like to do all the things. Like basically I don't really exist as long as there's peace in my environment. Mm -hmm. That's literally the people pleaser is about creating peace in the environment and not wanting anyone to be uncomfortable. And I used to want to create harmony in the world. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) not it's not not my responsibility it's not gonna happen I'm not I'm not gonna do that you know so I'm like raising my hand like there's the people pleaser has so many layers I literally just worked with some last week on Monday so like (laughs) I'm like it has so many layers you know that's I'm like you're like like as long as there's peace like but that's that's that aspect that's also very much 
we think of softer traits that we develop like the people pleaser as like oh my god or like the martyr you know it's like oh my god it's like self-sacrifice like oh like you're such a good person but it's like no because we still have an outcome we want to create so there's still a sense of control like as long as you're happy yes i'll do that but you have to be happy because if you're angry i'm not going to feel good yeah you know there's still like a controlling like that's our way of wanting to control the environment or others by molding ourselves but we're still not allowing you know it's not it's still not the whole self being here and also not really letting people be themselves it's like okay, you want Italian, go get Italian. I'll go get sushi. See you later. Like, you know, well, because that was just me feeling like kind of lost. I didn't, I didn't feel like I yeah. knew my identity because it was just always like, I'm just easy going and going with the flow. And it was in, instead, like, I, I do try to think now a lot of times if I'm going to plan a date or whatever, like I do try to think, what is it that I really want? so that we can talk about it together. So I don't ever get like stuck in that habit. Like, yeah, we can take turns in planning a date night, but that way I'm not just like, oh yeah, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know? Yeah, no, totally. Cause I think part of the people, people pleaser and just people, a lot of people in general, I feel, but mainly probably more the people pleaser, like have a hard time knowing what self likes. Cause it's yeah. like, I I'm willing to give up my own identity for the benefit of the collective and there being peace, because if there's peace then I feel like peace, so it makes total yeah. sense. The next step of that is like, um, I think another reason why I was often a people pleaser is because then I felt, um, like hard conversations were just too hard. Mm. Like I couldn't get myself to even do it. So it was like people pleasing was way easier. That makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, I imagine us people pleaser having a hard conversation. You're just letting, you're just telling the other person. Yeah, you're right. Like, no, no, you're right. Like, yeah, there's, there's in real. Well, and it was what you said kind of triggered me to think of that was when you said the anger piece, like if you did something and they'd be angry instead of at peace, mm-hmm. if you have a hard conversation and you make someone angry, then if you're a people pleaser, you you don't want that because then if something rocks the boat and at that moment I was too insecure to say what I actually wanted. And then what if the relationship ended? Like it was all of those kind of layers of insecurities, probably like the big title for all of it. Yeah. And this part, like these parts of us are not developed from one moment to the next. Like they're typically developed in early childhood And we probably learn this behavior from our mom or like, you know, like it's sometimes generational when they're harder to break, it's typically generational. And then these parts of us were validated of why they need to exist over our adolescent years. And then I believe, and I I had a therapist not long ago and I'm like, I really, based on my experience in middle school and like witnessing middle school and high school, like teen years, I believe the personality we develop during our teen years becomes like our staple for like the rest of our life. And like, I, cause I've been studying my own experience, like our response to that. And I, I told her, she's like, wow, you make such a good point. She's like, I don't think anybody has studied this really, but if, you know, we learned in, in middle school, like with other girls, like we don't want to create problems because we wanted the other girls to like us or whatever, or if there was conflict with the other girls, we probably learned to develop a people pleaser identity that really followed us after high school. 
and became like our staple imprint. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much time giving today, giving us this time and getting to hear so much amazing, just information from you and ways to become more mindful. Um, so do you have any more parting wisdom, last little bits of advice for our listeners? Start where you are. That's just like the message I keep getting. Start where you are. Like, I just also feel this invitation to drop into like your spine, like for everybody, like just take a moment to pause, take a deep breath, exhale out your mouth, let your shoulders drop, let your jaw drop. You can feel the tension in your shoulders and your jaw and just let it drop. Let your eyes relax, drop them, let them drop down and close. Feel the weight in your right wrist and the right side of your body. And just feel the deep presence. Feel all the weight. In this moment, I want to just invite you to feel all the weight of your body. All the space you occupy right here. And as you're here and dropped in, I want to invite you to become curious about the inner world. If it feels too scary, if it feels too overwhelming, that's something for you to identify. That's your invitation. You don't have to go deeper. It could literally just be like, I have no awareness. It's foreign. I'm scared. It's weird. I have resistance. It's dark. That in itself is part of the identifying and that's what's available to you right now. And the willingness and choice to see it and it's courageous. And that's a first step. And then I also invite you to feel the duality of the peace of being here, being present with yourself and what is available. feeling the tightness in your chest, feeling the shortness of your breath, and being okay with it. Like this is your inner experience that is reflected out in the world. Can you hold more compassion for yourself as you step out into the world, knowing that this is happening here within you? really grasping the space, this space you occupy. This is a, the only space we occupy or need to occupy or ever be in constant presence, this space you're in right now within your body.
it's not the things you have. It's not the things you want to have. It's not the job title. It's not the finances. It's literally this. You could be living in a tent. You could be living in a mansion. It's This is the only space you are, will ever occupy. How comfortable can you be with that? How much can you love it? How much can you accept it and embrace it? How can you befriend it? And then knowing that everything else outside is going to be reflected based on this relationship, based on this experience of yourself. And there's never judgment when we're connecting to ourselves. There's always inventory. There's different inventory to take. Different things to notice. A different landscape to explore. A different season. Different weather and temperature. Very much like the earth. But it's you. Now I want to invite you to give yourself a hug and thank yourself for the courage to witness yourself, something that we're not taught to do and something that we don't receive from our primary caregivers. So we don't know to do it and we don't know the benefit and the nourishment of it. And when you're ready, you can shake your hands out. And if you want to get up and shake your body, you can do that too. And then you could open your eyes. That felt really good. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. That's literally you. (laughs) (sighs) Really felt good. I hope, I hope everyone gave that a try. Our listeners, if you were driving, go back and do it later. I really do. I feel so much at peace right now. Thank you so much. Now tell our listeners, where can they find you? What's the best place to find you at? The best place to find me at is at my Instagram at I am Rodriguez. And you can reach out to me and say hi and, you know, share takeaways or things that you'd love to learn about regarding yourself. And yeah, I just, you know, life is very, very simple. And I, you know, hearing these words might be like, no, it's not. It is the moment we realize so much of our life, our whole life revolves around ourselves, our relationships, our career, our finances, everything we have. So the sooner we bring back that energy and the power we exert out every day, trying to like do the things society tells us to do the sooner we bring it back to ourselves and even practicing this moment of connecting to yourself where you are now, we didn't do anything. We did not try to change you. We were not, there was no judgment. There was just like, that's what I love that you said not to cut you off, but I loved when you said it's about taking inventory, not judgment. And I think so many times when we go to do this work and want to heal or just, we want to grow a lot of people, I think we're so afraid to get started because we're already judging ourselves. And and I just, I loved that you said that it's about taking inventory, not judgment. Yeah. And you witness the impact of that presence. Yeah. And that's literally like the same thing I do with my clients. Like before they come to a session, I already have insight on all these things about them that want to be seen. They're like, you know, they're like, cause 
I have the gift to see people fully. So when people like, you're like those parts of you're like, someone can see me, yeah. you know, they're like, please help, help. Yeah. So then I just help them integrate those parts, but we're not like, I'm not like, wait, trying to force them to do anything. I'm just like acknowledging all of them. And then like, okay, these parts of you want to come together. And that's the power of inventory and presence. You're just with yourself and those parts feel loved as they are. I think that's a beautiful ending. Love as they are. Thank you again so, so much. Um, And like she said, listeners, please go give her a follow and let her know what was your biggest takeaway from this episode. And as always, listeners, stay cheeky.